Let us read together now from the church's confession as we find it in Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we can find in the back of our book of praise on page 523 and following. Lord's Day 7, the church confesses the following. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. And what are these articles? Thereafter follows the articles of the Apostles' Creed, which we've confessed earlier in this worship service. So far, the reading of the church's confession this afternoon, after the proclamation of God's word, we'll respond by singing from Psalm 105, stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we consider the catechism's treatment on faith. And we will consider it in light of the passage we read earlier in Hebrews 11. There, in that marvelous passage, we read an extensive list of Old Testament examples of believers who lived by faith. And in verse 32, the, the writer even comments, he, ex he expresses his own inability to cover all of the people he could mention who were characterized by living in light of God's promises, who stood out because they were powerfully shaped by and impacted by those promises so that their lives changed profoundly, miraculously by God's grace. That's not to say that, it, that things got better or easier for these people in this life. Though that was the experience for some, as we could read in verse 32 and following about some who conquered kingdoms, who stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and other incredible things. But it wasn't always like that. Just reread from the midpoint of verse 35 to verse 38 and ask yourself if living by faith made things easier, any easier or any more pleasant in this life. You, you read of things like torture, prison, being stoned, being sawn in two. Well, did faith in God bring about a better life now? Well, the answer would have to be a definite and resounding no. But regardless of its outcome, faith is really the theme of Hebrews 11. 
This chapter is not so much about the so-called heroes of faith, though some have called this the hall, they've called this chapter the hall of faith to suggest that it's a hall of fame of, of believers. The chapter is better understood not to applaud the accomplishments of our biblical ancestors in the past, but to bring glory to God for how he makes a way for, for weak and fragile believers who have many failings and shortcomings to receive his blessings. Halls of fame exist for the purpose of, of elevating and, and separating distinguished persons for their great accomplishments. But Hebrews 11 is, is written for precisely the opposite reason. The barrage of by faiths, by faith, by faith is written to encourage us to live similarly by faith in God's promises. To understand that, that we are then united with these believers in the past as those who look not to our own accomplishments, but who look to the accomplishments of Christ as our only hope and confidence. And so this afternoon we'll consider various aspects of what faith is and what faith does as I preach God's word to you under this theme. By faith we are grafted into Jesus Christ. We'll consider four points, the importance of faith, the nature of faith, the focus of faith, and the assurance of faith. First, we see the importance of faith. When we understand this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 7, in the context of the catechism, then what becomes very clear is that in order to be saved, one must have faith. Faith is not an optional matter. It's absolutely essential, and therefore, it is crucially important. And the catechism makes this point by asking a, a very logical question at the outset in question 20. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished in Adam? You see, the question is framed in such a way as to suggest that if we all died in Adam through his fall into sin, then would it not be the same that in Christ all are made alive and all are saved? That sounds logical, doesn't it? But logic is not the determining factor that decides this question. We do not embrace what our minds can fit together and figure out in our own understanding. No, we, we must go by what the Word of God teaches. And by and listening to the, what the Word of God teaches, we must conclude that, as the Catechism says, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept His benefits. And this ties in with one of the five distinctive teachings of the Great Reformation, sola fide. Sola fide, the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. In the history of, of, of the church, especially around the time of the Reformation, what had happened was that 
other practices and traditions and teachings had hidden or eclipsed the importance of faith. Things like good works, an emphasis on good works and indulgences, just to name a few. So one of the main things of, of the Reformation, which the Reformation recovered and celebrated 500 years ago and, and ever since then, was the sufficiency of faith as the means by which we receive our right standing with God. One of the verses that, that summarizes this best is Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, which we read this morning. We're we're in the context, Paul is renouncing all of his former works and his acts of righteousness. And he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, righteousness from God that depends on faith. So it is by faith that believers cling to Christ's righteousness. And as a church that traces its heritage back to the Reformation, we celebrate and glory in this truth. And is that not also what is celebrated in Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11 shows us that every believer through the the long history of redemption looked directly to Jesus Christ by faith and received their right standing by God and did not need any other intermediary, someone in, in the middle, such as a, a priest or, or even an instituted church, to, to stand between, to give them access to the Father. It was through Christ alone, one of the other five distinctive teachings of the Reformation, And Christ could only be received through faith alone. Nothing else was needed to be added to the mix. Everything else only obscures and and gets in the way of what Scripture clearly teaches. Salvation is by faith and by faith alone. And Lord Day 7, therefore, faithfully affirms that. That though we are all in Adam by birth and by lineage, yet we need to be in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is not through some kind of automatic placement for, for the entire human race, but it is by being grafted into Christ by true faith. Faith is the means by which we receive our new identity in Christ. This is the beautifully rich and fundamentally important doctrine of union with Christ. Through faith, we are joined to Christ like a body to its head. Wherever the head goes, the body goes too. This brings us to our second point, looking at the nature of faith. All throughout Hebrews 11, 
we read of believers throughout the history of redemption giving evidence of faith. But what is faith? Well, the, the, the chapter begins with a definition of it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith is rooted in the word of God. As it, is, as it spells out unseen realities which hold out hope for us to hold on to. And so one of the things that we see throughout this chapter is that faith, the faith of these people was about believing what God said. The chapter touching on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Moses, the Israelites on the way to the promised land, even Rahab the prostitute, all lived by faith. And one of the things that the writer emphasizes, you, you may have noticed, is the short, the, by the same short phrase that occurs two times, once in verse 13, once again in verse 39, was that none of these had received the fullness of what was promised, but that the, the fullness of it was still awaiting them in the future because what they hoped for would only be ultimately realized in Jesus Christ. So there was something more, something better for them up ahead because God had provided something more and something better for them. And so when we think about the nature of faith, we must understand that it is not blind trust in the face of evidence to the contrary or in the face of no evidence at all. Faith is not a, a, a leap in the dark, as some might say. But faith is as strong as the object that you place your faith in. You can relate this to thin ice versus thick ice. You could put a great amount of faith in some thin ice, but if you step your foot on it, you will sink. But if you have even just a small amount of faith in thick ice and you step out onto it, it'll hold you up. It'll, it'll carry your weight. Why is that? Is it because you have more faith? No, you, you might have had less faith, but the object of your faith in which you placed your faith was stronger. And so it is in Hebrews 11. That faith is rooted in what God has promised in his word. And think, for instance, of what it says about Abraham. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. Didn't explore the real estate first. He went, he listened, he obeyed. How did he, how did he know about that? Well, it was God who, who, how did he know about that land? It was God who promised it to him. I'm going to give you this land. And likewise, regarding descendants. Verse 12, therefore from one man and, and him as, as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. God had promised it. And faith was a knowledge and a belief that accepted what God had promised. 
Thus our catechism says in question and answer 21, true faith is a sure knowledge that all that God has revealed in his word is true. Hebrews 11 is given to us to say, here's the history and the example of people living by that kind of faith. And that what God says and reveals in his word is true, every word of it. And yet it must be pointed out that faith is not only this knowledge that what God reveals in his word is true in general, but it is a a reception and a conviction that what what it says, what it promises to us is given to us personally. Faith is not just saying, yes, I believe and confess certain facts to be true. Yes, God has said this. Yes, God will do this. Faith is not only a a knowledge and conviction that all God says is true, but faith also has a personal dimension to it. It is for me. It is for you. The Catechism goes on to say that faith is also a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith is worked in my heart by the Holy Spirit, by the gospel. So those words, not only to others, but also to me, is what Hebrews 11 is written to say. Look, you are right alongside those who are mentioned on the pages of Scripture. They trusted in God. You similarly must also put your trust in God. Consider also the example of Joseph in this regard. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, still 400 years away, and gave directions concerning his bones. Well, the directions were that his people, his, uh, they, his people would, would keep his bones and they would bury them in the promised land. Well, that was personal. Future generations would have this sign of, of Father Joseph's trust in God's unfailing promises. And that is what we see with all of the people in this chapter. That they did what they did so often sacrificially at a great cost to themselves, at great cost to their financial bottom line, at great cost to their own comfort and safety and security because they understood that the word that they were putting their faith in was, not, was a word that was true. A word that was powerful, a word that was reliable, a word that was worth it, a word that was for them personally. We come now to our third point, considering the focus of faith. The focus of faith is emphasized by the catechism when it speaks of the content of our Christian faith. What must be believed in order for one to be considered a Christian? It's the creed. Spelled out for us in the final question and answer of this Lord's Day. The creed which all Christian churches share. Though we believe that that the catechism is a faithful and 
fruitful summary and explanation of the Bible's teaching, the, the core or the backbone of the catechism is the creed and the catechism's explanation of it. Because that is where our faith is founded, that's where our faith is focused, uniting us to, with all of the church, uniting us with all who look to Jesus for our salvation. Now over the ages, there have been some who have said that faith is something that you have to do. Something that you have to build, something that you have to maintain, something that you have to keep strong, or you, or you have to generate a certain experience, or you have to have all of your doctrinal ducks in a row, whatever it is, so that faith is turned into something you do, something you accomplish. But what makes faith truly unique is that it is not something you do. It looks away from itself. It, it, it is to use the theological term that may be new to you, extrospective, the opposite of introspective, not looking within, but looking without. It looks away from itself, looks to Christ. Another way to describe that is that faith is like an, an empty hand. The whole point is that it has nothing to offer, nothing to contribute. It simply acknowledges that all that I need for salvation is from the Lord, not from me. And in that act of looking away from ourselves and looking to God, then, then we are in the act of worshiping. And we are giving God the glory, the object of faith, and the action of faith is all from God. His work from beginning to end, and so he receives all the glory. That's why it, it's not strange how at the end of Hebrews 11 and begin, the beginning of chapter 12, we read, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder of our faith. He creates it. He gives it to you. And he is also the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who guarantees the conclusion. He is the one who gets you to the end, sustaining you, enabling you to persevere in faith. And therefore, we worship him. And so it is that by looking to him, we are able to endure because of what he gives you. We often sing those words from that great hymn, great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Those words, those are words that reach their fullest meaning and, and significance when we understand them in relation to Christ. And so, we care about the content of faith because every part of it is a gift of God to us in Christ. And question and answers 22 and 23 summarize it well and they leave no room for negotiation or, or picking and choosing. Now they insist that we must believe everything promised us in the word 
and summarized in the 12 articles of the creed. And that's because faith depends on content. Therefore, we must be committed to learning the scriptures, impressing these truths on our hearts and on our minds, and doing so in the fellowship with, with God's people. Then the Apostles' Creed will not become something that we merely recite as a, as a ritual, as a routine each Sunday, but it will be something that resonates within each believer. This is what I believe. I have no hope outside of this. So far from a, a superstitious custom that we practice, it is the confession of faith where we find our only comfort in life and in death. We come now to our fourth and final point, looking at the assurance of faith. Well, in our individualistic age and in our culture, we might be tempted to think that to live on our own, happily doing our own thing, we can live that way until God somehow zaps us with blessing from afar. But that's not how God brings blessing, not from a distance. He brings blessing by coming near. He unites us to him. He grafts us into Christ. As question and answer 20 says, those who are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. That's a wonderful image the catechism portrays. The image there of grafting. It's, it's agricultural imagery, imagery of a fruit farmer taking one branch from one tree or plant and, and, and cutting an, an opening in another tree or plant and he will insert that branch into the trunk or the stem of that other tree or that plant, blending the, the two together. This idea is not foreign to the scriptures. It's the language that we find in John chapter 15 and Romans chapter 11. And so faith is actually much more than just receiving a promise. Faith means that we have been given a new identity. No longer are we defined by our, by our connection to the dead tree that was Adam in his sin. We are now defined by our connection to a new tree, to a new and alive and vibrant tree that is Christ. And so true faith changes you. It has an impact on how you live and, and how you think. Faith means being a new person who is united to Christ. And this emphasis on, on what faith does is why Hebrews 11 says over and over, by faith, these people did these things. Faith unites you to Christ, and you are then changed in noticeable ways by that new relationship. This relationship will then be characterized by doing good works, they will, they will follow. They will be produced by one who has faith. One could argue that this is the emphasis of Hebrews 11, that faith always leads to action. Nearly 
every one of these examples involves a person who did something. By faith, Abraham did something. By faith, Sarah did something. By faith, Moses did something. They received God's promises and they worked with them and they translated them into action. And this will also be true of all of us. For all who who have faith in Christ, if we have faith that looks to Christ, and not only will good works follow, but we will also have the assurance of our salvation. That assurance is having that firm confidence that God has granted also to me the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation. He must be alive in me because of the fruit I can see growing in me, coming out of me. And so, so faith is not about some objective, abstract, disattached truths that exist out there, but don't mean anything to you or I unless we do enough good or if we have the right inner experience to give us assurance. Hebrews 11, along with the catechism, are both written to tell us that, that what you put your faith in from the very beginning is a God who is speaking to you. And that the truths and promises you are believing are what God says to you, what he promises to you. When you hold on to Jesus Christ, nothing else can come in between that. Faith and the wonderful assurance of salvation, they go together. You do not have to have faith and then wait before you can know that God's promises are true for you and for you personally. You can have that assurance right from the first moment you believed. Even if your faith is small like a mustard seed, no matter how weak or how little or how insignificant you think your faith is, when you understand that God is speaking his promises in Christ to you personally, then you have assurance of your salvation being real, authentic, and true. In Galatians 2 verse 20 is one text that beautifully captures this, and we'll, this is where we'll bring the sermon to a close. After Paul has has been delivering a, a rich and, and in many ways complex argument in the, in the letter to the Galatians about how Christ fulfills the Old Testament scriptures and, and therefore all that we need is found in him. Then Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's really where the rubber meets the road for God's people throughout the ages, that you and I are are able to say, God loved me, that he through his son gave himself for me. By faith, I am his and he is mine. And so may we all with the church of all times and places praise God for the marvel and the mystery of faith and confess it and exercise it for when we do we'll find ourselves in good company on solid ground having stability and having something to depend upon in an unstable 
an undependable world. Amen.